The Old Testament reading for the Feast of the Circumcision in the name of Jesus is from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Galatians chapter 3. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This is the word of the Lord. We rise to join together in Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Text for this morning's message, the 
open the epistle from Galatians chapter 3, focusing especially on the following. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Thus far our text. This year, as our Sunday falls on the special commemoration of the circumcision and naming of Jesus, we have these as our readings for today on this eighth day of Christmas. It was the custom, indeed it was the law in the day of the Jews for all babies, all male babies to be circumcised on that eighth day to be marked as heirs of promise, to be set apart as God's own holy people. And it is with this in mind that we consider our epistle today from Galatians chapter 3. For the big takeaway of today's gospel reading, the one verse that we read a little earlier is what Paul will observe a few short verses later in Galatians. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The circumcision of Jesus is really about who he is in relationship to the law of God. It's part of how he redeems those under the law. For although Jesus is God's son, and thus above the law in that sense, he was born according to his flesh, into the house and line of David. So he finds himself firmly in the heart of the people of God. At the center, their expectations, their hopes. As such, it is necessary for him to be held under the law in order to make the plan and purpose of God to happen. This all took place in the fullness of time. That is to say, when God had arranged all the parts and details of history so that all that was needful for us and our salvation could best occur. When the deep foothold of the Greek language and the relative safety and security of the Pax Romana was such that the word of what Jesus had done and said and accomplished could have an easy and relatively free spread across the Roman Empire. Yet Christ being under the law in his circumcision was only act one of a much bigger production, as it were. It was necessary because his role under the law was to be Israel's exemplar, the nation in a person. For as in Adam all are accounted as sinners, one man had to come to be the new Adam, the second Adam, and to go through the entirety of Israel's history in summary, yet without sin. And that one is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is with that as kind of the background, the necessary underpinnings, that we can now dig into the epistle appointed for today. 
Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The word used for guardian here refers to someone or something that had a special purpose of training and teaching those who were not of legal age. Sometimes it's translated as schoolmaster. It's indeed the word from which our English word pedagogy arrives. Once someone came of legal age, they were entitled to their inheritance. They no longer needed a guardian or a schoolmaster to train them, to teach them, to prepare them for what they were going to receive. If you will then, what Paul is saying is that the purpose of God's law was to stand in place with God's people until they had corporately come of legal age and were ready to inherit their full inheritance. And don't misunderstand Paul's point here. It's not any sort of once you're old enough, you can make a decision for Jesus thing that he's talking about here. It's more that whole fullness of time thing that he goes on to say in Galatians 4, a few verses after our reading for today. Once all of history had gotten to the right time, then Christ came to finish the work of salvation. Then God's nation Israel came of age and no longer needed the law as its guardian, as its schoolmaster, to prepare it for what was yet to come. The age of the rule of the law is now over. Now is the era of the gospel, revealed in its fullness in Christ. Does this then negate the value of the Old Testament or the law of God? Not in the least. Jesus said that heaven and earth would pass away before the law would pass away. But what it does do is fulfill the law. Makes it so that we are no longer bound to God's law as a chain of slavery, but rather can hold on to it out of a deeper bond of being a child of the kingdom. Going back to the point, Christ our Lord is born under the law. He is caused to shed blood by means of circumcision in order to fulfill his own obligation as a son of David to that schoolmaster and guardian of the law. He himself had no sin, nothing needing to be redeemed. Yet as a child of the promise, he bound himself to the promise by means of binding himself through circumcision to the fate of his people. He makes himself one of the children of Abraham in order that you and I and all might in turn could become the children of God's promise. Why is this so very important? Because whether we like it or not, you and I are not born as children of promise, rather we're born into sin. Our hearts, our thoughts are disordered. We start out turned away from God. We start out under the law. We start out enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, sin, suffering, death. 
We shouldn't be surprised by any of the bad things that happen in the world because that's the default setting of this world and all who are in it. That's what sin does. And as Ezekiel so plainly and succinctly put it, the soul that sins shall die. It's the basic equation that God had set out as his law in the garden where there was at the time only one sin act possible, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that equation was sadly completed when Eve, then Adam, did exactly that. And ever since then, we all start out broken. We all start out with the law not only as our guardian and schoolmaster, but also as our jailer and our chief accuser. For the law says, do not covet. And what do we do? We covet and desire things we do not have and should not have. The law says, do not steal. And what do we do? We look for loopholes where we can get things which aren't our own in ways that seem right, but really aren't. The law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul above all things. And we say, well, there's got to be some exceptions for ourselves or for other special people, right? The examples can easily be multiplied. We, every one of us, are broken by sin. But now through this same Christ, who was put under the law for us, comes a word of good news for us as well. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In Christ Jesus we are all sons of God through faith. Son here meant in the legal sense of Paul's day where only the son could be the inheritor of the family's estate. So in Christ, all who are baptized into Christ now share in that status. It doesn't make one iota of difference what your worldly status here and now may or may not be. Our world likes to speak of equality under the law, but true equality only comes in the gospel, for it is in Christ, through faith in him, washed and made new through the waters of baptism, that there is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female as social distinctives regarding whether or not you have the worth, the ability to inherit eternal life. Now all that matters is that you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, and Christ dwells in you by faith, then you are accredited with his account before the Father. No longer do any of your sins or failures sit before God's eyes. Those are all part of the guardian's reckoning and part of his accounting and what he was keeping. Now you are new. Now you are in Christ. Now you are heirs according to the promise. And just as we have been so treated and given 
a new life through Christ, so now you and I are to live according to Christ's example as well. We are to deal graciously and forgivingly with those who mistreat you or offend you. Certainly, like Christ, we, you and I are to call sin for what it is, but always with the goal of restoring the sinner rather than ostracizing or excluding them. Because you and I now live under grace as heirs of a promise, we have a brighter future, a permanent home in heaven to look toward. Indeed, as our new calendar year begins, we should all set our hearts and our focus on that new hope, that new future. For we are now truly heirs according to the promise, made new in Christ, with a new and eternal hope that nobody can take from us. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.